Good morning. There we go. Hey, uh, at this time, um, we have a student that's going to come and give a testimony um, from our trip to Panama City. Uh, so if you want to come up, Miss Elena. Um, just uh, God did some awesome things while we were down there, and uh, I'm letting her tell the story. So if you would, give her a round of applause, and uh, I'll let her do it. Yes. So first I want to say thank you to the church for, um, so first I want to say thank you to the church. Uh, I had a great time and I think if you can, you should go. So when I was like eight, I thought I got saved, but at Strength to Stand, I think it was like the second night, the speaker was talking about being 100% a born again believer and just saying you are. Then I started to think more and more, and I was like, eh, I'm probably just thinking, I'm probably just overthinking it. But on the way to Pup Pup, Brian was talking about how he got saved at Shrink the Stand. Then I was like, okay, no, this is Jesus telling me I need to get saved. So right as we stepped off the bus, I got Aaron and Christy, and I got saved that night. I will never forget that night and the impact it made that it made in my life. It was a great trip, and I, I hope more people can go and get saved. Thank you again for letting me go on the trip. It is always a privilege to see God move uh, in the lives of young students. Um, this morning, as you came in this morning, um, you should have received a half sheet of paper. Um, I know that's different for some of you. Uh, that is my outline for the sermon this morning. Um, I had a good pastor mentor of mine that once said a good teacher uh, often uh, will address the three modes in which a student learns. Hearing, doing, and seeing. So hopefully we can address that. But before I get into the sermon, most of you uh, know that uh, there's a child in our community, uh, Miss McKinley, uh, who has had some major heart issues, some major health issues. And uh, I would just like to take this opportunity before we even get to the text this morning, um, just to uh, open the altar uh, for a time of prayer uh, for her and as well as VBS tonight. So if anybody wants to come and join us at the altar, uh, it is open and I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. Lord, you are God. And besides you, there is no other. And the fact is, the matter is, is as we sung this morning, great is your grace. And it is sufficient not only to save, but to sustain because you are Jehovah Jireh. You provide our needs each and every step of the way, even when we don't know what our needs are. And sometimes, Lord, as I've learned this week, as it is a very hard thing to do, is to simply put our trust in You. Moment by moment. Lord, we lift up McKinley to You this morning. We lift up the doctors and the, and 
the medical staff that are attending to her very needs. And Lord, we just ask that if you can do anything, that we would ask that you give them wisdom to heal her, to sustain her. And Lord, we pray that you be with her family, give them comfort, give them healing. And Lord, I just pray that again tonight as we um, tend to the, to the little children of our community, Lord, I pray that lives would be touched for the sake of the glory of you and the kingdom of God. Not for Harmony Grove, but for you. Lord, lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, if you would, turn with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. And as I thought, as Scotty mentioned that I'd be preaching on the Sunday in which we'll be doing VBS, I couldn't find myself coming to a better text to prepare our hearts. And that's really where I want to go, is to prepare our hearts for what we're going to be doing tonight. But I also want this to be kind of the looking glass, if you will, for this is one of the reasons I do youth ministry. This is one of the reasons that I take a lot of time just to make sure that I'm actively discipling students. But there's not a text I don't think be more appropriate today than Titus chapter 2. But before we get there, by way of introduction this morning, I figured I'd ask this question. Does the way you live your life reflect a desire for investment of the next generation of believers? In other words, does the conduct, the way you live your life, the example that you set by which we live, show an active investment into the next generation? The basis for such question comes from this. One out of every three kids grows up without one of their parents in the home. It's divorce. It's pornography. It's absent fatherhood or motherhood. It's abandonment. And these are all things we see in our culture today. These are all things that we see in our own students today on a Wednesday night downstairs in the other building. And they are affected by these things, yet left with a very large hole in their hearts because there's no one to guide them. There's no one to be there. And that is exactly kind of where we're going to go. And as I've titled it, as you can see at the top of your half sheet of paper, Forging the Gap. There is a great divide amongst churches today between old generation saints and new generation saints, or the older generation and the younger generation. And if we're truly going to be a unified church with students, young people, and the older generation saints, we must make sure that we are setting the example. All of us. So forging the gap in age and in conduct. And this is Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to ask, if you're willing and able, would you stand with me in the reverence of reading God's Word? I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And this is Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show dignity, integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Lastly, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not proliferating, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That is God's word for us this morning. If you would, bow with me as we pray. Lord, I just pray over your word this morning that it would set in our hearts. That we would be a church that not only sends the gospel to the nations, but to the generations. And right now, as as this is the moment of truth, Lord, I pray that you would help me rightly divide the word of truth. That you would give me the words to speak. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. That we may truly understand what is going on, not only in the world around us, but what your word calls us to do about it. And we just ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I get started, I always do. I always give you the historical context, the background information of what's going on in the text. This is Paul writing to young Titus. Now, if you don't know anything about Titus, that's okay. He was kind of the idea of a church planner. Now, Titus is on the island of Crete, which is off the coast of Greece. And I know many of you in here have often wanted to leave your grandchildren and your children on an island and and kind of go the other direction. Um, But here we have Titus on on the island of Crete, and he's dealing with a lot of things, right? I mentioned Greece is, you know, not too far. That Greek mythology is kind of starting to come down on the island. It's starting, it's basically what we call false doctrine. And he's dealing with that. He's also dealing with ungodly legalists within his own congregations that he's trying to instill. And he finds himself in a need of encouragement. And Paul writes this letter to him. And I find it interesting that in the very first chapter, as, we, as Paul really tries to get to the nitty gritty of what it means to have proper relationships within the church, Paul starts with the qualifications of elders. Starts at the top, starts with the pastor, starts with the the overseers. But then where we find ourselves today is the teaching ministry of not only the church, but of Christians today. So here we are, starting at the top, let's roll. Verse 1 of chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What does this mean? Sound doctrine. I'm so glad you asked. If you look down, flip over to chapter 3, starting in verse 3, I think we find a very clear understanding 
of what sound doctrine is. Verse 3 of chapter 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating one another. Oh, but then here's the good stuff. Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Sound doctrine in its simplest form begins and ends with the Gospel. It's what's right. His Word is always right. And yet Titus is standing in the, in the weight, in the, in the midst of a changing culture in a changing time, much like what we live in today. And yet, Paul reminds everyone, not just Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. It is every Christian's job to teach what accords with God's Word. Anything after that is wrong. The Bible is enough and always will be enough. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said it this way, false doctrine produces false living. And as we, we look at the world in which we live in, how about this? When we look at society, we are told various things from society that, every, that these things are okay. For example, we live in a very woke culture. If you don't know what that means, see me after church, we'll have a very long conversation. But the idea that there are certain school systems in our world today that impose systemic racism on children who are too young to really understand is beyond me. That is not sound doctrine. How about this? Society says it's okay to have an abortion, yet God's Word clearly states that that is murder. And the last time I checked, that's not sound, nor is that doctrine. Society says that it's okay to find our hope and salvation elsewhere, yet I'm here today to tell you that no matter how many times society tells us this, the gospel is and always has been enough. This is the hinge pinch of the passage. Everything we're going to talk about today revolves around Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is the basis of everything. What you teach will go a long way. And there's some kids in the world today, some kids in our homes, some kids in our youth room who have never been taught the Bible. They've never been taught the difference between right and wrong. And yet we wonder why our prisons are full. We wonder why the family is crumbling. But we pick up in verse 2, and this is where we really begin to see our, our outline come in and, and the ministry of, of teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. First truth of the text this morning is we see the conduct of older men. That is the first line on your outline. The conduct of older men. Notice the adjectives here. Sober-minded, meaning not under the influence. I'll let that settle in for a second. Dignified. Are you dignified, guys? 
In the way in which you present yourself, carry yourself, and act, are you dignified? Are you self-controlled? Or are you quick to lose your temper? Are you sound in faith? Are you faithful to your family? Are you faithful to the church? Are you faithful to your community? And more importantly, are you faithful to your spouse? Are you sound in love? And are you patient? Many years ago, there was a country artist that came out with a song called Watching You. And the song depicts how a father and son, they just went through the McDonald's drive-thru, got the Happy Meal for his four-year-old. And, you know, every father has a lead foot. He's flying home. And that traffic light goes from green straight to red. And the song depicts how the orange drink went to flying and his fries covered his lap. Talking about his son. His whole meal basically went up in the air. His daddy slammed on brakes at this red light. And then the son said, the song continues to say, Then my four-year-old said a four-letter word, started with S, and I was concerned. And I said, Son, where did you learn to talk like that? Not missing a beat, the son picks up, looks at his daddy and says, Well, Daddy, I've been watching you. Ain't that cool? I want to be your buckaroo. I want to be just like you. The whole drive home, this dad is defeating himself, beating himself over the head because he has realized that he has set a poor example for his son. So much so, he comes and gets into the barn, throws his head on the ground and begins to just cry out to God, Lord, help me. Help my stupid self. Not knowing that through the crack of the barn door was his four-year-old watching him pray. And as he went to tuck in his son that night, as he went to turn the light off, his son hops out of bed, begins to get down on his knees and begins to pray. The point is, men, is we have to set the example. There is a reason God created us to be the spiritual leaders of God's church and our homes. They can either learn those four-letter words from us, or can they can learn how to pray. We are to set the example in conduct in the church and in our homes. It is our job. It is our responsibility. And it is a gift from the Lord. But verse 3. Older women. Now apparently Paul's mom never taught him that those two words never go in the same sentence. <laughs> Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slave to much wine. Second truth of the text this morning is the conduct of older women. The conduct of older women. Just as the men are to set the example, so are the women. Why is this important? There's nobody better to teach a young lady what it means to be a young lady or a Proverbs 31 woman than an older woman. And they must be setting the example in everything. Not slanderers or slaves too much wine. The conduct of older, older women. We've seen the conduct of older men. We've seen the conduct of older women. But Paul doesn't stop there. He actually adds something on at the tail end of three. And this is where we're going to pick up. They are to teach what is good. 
And so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Third truth of the text, third truth on your outline there is the responsibility of older women. You ladies have a responsibility to train young women, to teach them what it means to be a woman of God, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be a good worker of the home, to be kind and submissive to their own husbands. And I'm just reading the text. Many years ago, as I spent my days at Truett McConnell, there was a family who was heavily involved in foster care ministry. And in spite of their involvement of foster care ministry, they had five kids. Four daughters. They adopted the fifth boy. And I just remember coming over to their house to eat as he was a local pastor, as he was a local friend of mine who I had reconnected with. And from the oldest girl who was in college to the youngest girl who was finishing up elementary school, there wasn't one of his daughters that didn't know how to sew, didn't know how to cook, didn't know how to take care of an infant, didn't know how to read their Bible. And I know some of you in here right now, you're thinking I sound extremely sexist at the moment, but that's not where I'm going. They knew how to do those things because their mother taught them. They knew how to do those things. They knew what it meant to appropriately dress for church because their mother taught them. And as we look at the conduct of older women, it's not just older women within the church, but it's moms as well. When we look at the conduct of older men, it's not just men in the church, but it's dads as well. It's husbands as well. Why do we do it? Why is this important, ladies? Notice what he says, so that the word of God may not be reviled. That word in the Greek there literally means to be slandered. The good old southern fashion phrase is drug through the mud. Why do we do it? Why do you teach young ladies what it means to be reverent in behavior? So that you don't get this dirty. That you don't compromise this. The moment you compromise this, everything else will fall apart. And we wonder why our society is in the mess it's in. It's because we've failed to teach that which accords with sound doctrine. Our society is in the mess today because we have not stood up in the times where Christians have been called to stand. Whether it's men or women. And don't think I haven't left you guys out. I'm getting to you next. But the basis for everything we do in ministry, in life, should revolve around God and His Word. This is why I do what I do. The responsibility of older women. By the way, in case you're wondering, they don't teach you how to be a husband and a father in seminary. They don't teach you how to be a wife or a mother in seminary. This is why it's important for us to realize the situations within our own church. But we get down to verse 6. 
Likewise, that is a conjunction. Many of you may be thinking of Schoolhouse Rock at the moment. Likewise, it's a conjunction, meaning it's bridging the gap of something that's already been said. If I could insert another phrase there, it would be just as. Just as the older women are to train the young women, likewise the older men are to what? Notice what he says. Urge the young men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Next thing, next truth of the text is the responsibility of older men. This is the basis of discipleship. That's all this really is. Many of you can remember a time when there was somebody who came into your life and set the example that guided you along the way. And we are to be that to not only these students tonight, but our students on Wednesdays and to the students in our community. The responsibility of older men. There's nobody better for, to teach a young man what it means to be a godly man than an older godly man. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. And I remember, I remember growing up just having that constant father hunger. And I got into college and I had four awesome professors. that just took me under the wing. And then me and my dad started taking classes together at the same time, and we began to bond, and now he's my best friend. And we hunt, we talk about hunting, we dabble in wood, we do all kinds of stuff, we goof off. And that is okay, because we're living life together. Every time I come up here, Chuck's up here. I don't know what he's doing, but he's up here. We always have a conversation. Even in passing, sometimes you just got to take that time out of your, your, your day, guys, to just simply pour in to a young man. Ladies, sometimes you got to just take that time to pour into a young woman. Not just about God's Word, but what they need to succeed in life. The responsibility of older men. Why is this crucial? Go back with me real quick to verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with what? Sound doctrine. We live in a crazy culture in which the world says, this is okay when God's Word says, no, it's not. Why do we invest in the next generation, church? I'll quote the great systematic theologian Aaron Tippin. If you do not stand for something, you will what? And students and children are very quick to fall for anything. And it comes through a phone or the TV or an Xbox. I'll give you this illustration from my own personal life. Many years ago, I was going on a first date. Now, dating was not something, my parents will tell you this, uh, 
Dating was not something we talked a lot about when I was in high school and early college. I had no need for it. And as I'm going on this first date, I began to talk with a good mentor of mine who currently today is 80 years old. And he got married his sophomore year of college. He is still married to that woman. And he has done ministry with her every step of the way for numerous, numerous years across the globe. I got a list, kid you not, 16 things. Dating advice from an old man is how he titled it. <laughs> Best dating advice I ever got. Had I not asked, I wouldn't have been given it. This generation is in constant, dire need of investment. It may be simply teaching somebody how to budget. It may be simply teaching them how to read their Bible. It may simply be teaching them what God's Word says about Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. But you see, the reality is, is this isn't what's getting taught in the home anymore. This isn't what's getting taught in some churches today. To simply put it, I've said it this way and I've given it to you. We need older saints or older men and older women who have been placed to simply show younger saints or younger uh, students how to go places. You all have a story to tell. Some of you in here, you've been married for longer than I've been alive. And yet, when there's a young couple in the church that's struggling, or there's a young couple that's about to get married, who better to speak into their life than you? Who better to speak into those situations than the older saints who have the experience? So how do we bridge that gap? We set the example and we teach what accords with sound doctrine. But I want to shift gears for a second. One author by the name of Odebaki proposes that Titus chapter 2 is the foundation for the home. That this is what's to occur with dads and moms as we prepare our sons and daughters to be spiritually equipped for the world. And I can't help but agree with him. Alright, when we look at Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, when Cain kills Abel, and this is, this is my personal speculation here, we often ask the question, why was Cain's sacrifice not enough? That's not the question I want to ask. The question I want to ask is, where's Adam and Eve? And did they teach their children what it meant to worship the Lord? Something not depicted in Scripture. So we don't know if that really happened, but it's a, it's a thought, right? My point is this, is take the opportunity to invest in young adults and students, regardless of whether tonight's VBS or not. That youth door is always open on Wednesday nights. Listen, I'm telling you, I couldn't have picked a better group of volunteers for our trip to PCB. It was a God thing. And yet... Whether it was throwing a frisbee, making sure kids put on sunscreen, whatever it was, it was just a blessing for three days just to go down.
to Panama City Beach and simply love on some kids. And that's what we're doing tonight. That's what we do every Wednesday night. It's just love on some kids. I've mentioned that this is part of the family. Titus chapter 2 is part of the family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate why. Listen to these lyrics as one artist wrote this about his mom. I don't know what it's like to be addicted to pills, but I do know what it's like to be a witness it kills. My mama told me she loved me, and I'm thinking this isn't real. I think of you every time I get a whiff of that cigarette smell. He goes along to write this. I got this picture in my room and it kills me. But I don't need a picture of my mom. I need the real thing. Now a relationship is something we won't ever have. Why do I feel like I lost something that I never had? One out of three kids grows up without a parent in the home. And some of you, you're sitting in here because your kids are grown. You're not having to deal with this anymore. That doesn't mean you can't get parenting advice. You're still a parent. And first of all, let me go ahead and back up and say this. Just because you're an empty nester at home does not mean you have to be an empty nester at church. There is a constant need of discipleship. And who better to teach them than us? Who better to serve our community than us. Verse 9. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not proliferating, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Last truth of the text this morning is the conduct of slaves. The conduct of slaves. We've seen the conduct of older men. We've seen the conduct of older women. We've seen the responsibility of older women. We've seen the responsibility of older men. Now we see the conduct of slaves. When we look at this word slaves, we ought to think of someone who works for someone else. Many of us work on a daily basis. Many of us have worked for someone for numerous years. Notice how our conduct is supposed to be on the job. Well-pleasing. Not argumentative. Not proliferating. Good faith. Maybe we need to instill in this next generation what it means to have a good work ethic. What it truly means to be in good faith with an employer. And why do we do it? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. Those who are enslaved in an employee-employer relationship is, is one thing, but maybe we need to think, take another look at this of those who are enslaved under a tyrannous government who are called to follow Christ. What do they do? You be obedient until it goes against what God's Word truly says.
Why do I say all this? I got some tidbits of stories I'm going to share with you. A good friend of my dad's, um, I believe he goes to a church in Towns County. And he uh, stepped into a business meeting, church business meeting, by the way. And we know how those things can get dangerous at times, but the reality is, is he proposed that we, that that church start a children's ministry. In which the response from the church was, is there's not a line item in our budget, so we're not going to do it, nor do we see a need to do it. What? You don't see a need to start a children's ministry. In which I want to respond, well, I don't see a need for your church to exist. Because your church has no future. I sat in a financial campaign meeting one time in which the proposed campaign was going to expand a, uh, and build a preschool building. And this guy, as I was a Poe seminary student because I couldn't afford the other two letters, um, some of y'all will get that on the way home, but uh, the reality is, is this guy looks across the table at me. I was working a third shift in a warehouse at the time and he goes, how much of your salary are you willing to donate to the financial campaign? Which, by the way, I could have easily said the unchristlike answer, that's none of your business. But I looked at him and I said, can you actually put a price on investing in the next generation? In which he had nothing else to say. That's why we invest. And sometimes it means that we have to invest in the next generation of believers because parents aren't doing it at home. Sometimes it means that we have to invest in the next generation of believers because they don't have parents. But I told you one thing at the beginning of the sermon and I said sound doctrine begins and ends with what? The Gospel. And that's exactly how I'm going to conclude this sermon. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright in godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing in the glory of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. So this morning, this passage of Scripture begs a response from you. As a church, if you're in here and you're saved this morning, maybe it means grabbing a student and bringing them down to the altar and praying for them. Maybe it means flooding this altar so we can pray for the lives of the children that we're going to actively invest in this evening. But if you're lost, that response is a bit greater. I keep thinking of the old hymn, Have You Been Washed? Have you been to Jesus for His cleansing power? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
Are you trusting in His grace this hour? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? I can't answer that question for you. But I can tell you this. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, He's faithful to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And He'll change your life. Will you let Him? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this this message would not fall on deaf ears. That we would come to an understanding that if revival is truly going to take place, that we must set the example in agent and conduct. That we must actively seek out students and those who are younger than us to invest in. No matter what that looks like, Lord, would you, would you put that on our hearts this evening? Would you put that on our hearts this morning? And Lord, may we actively be unified with you. The gospel is enough. And we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.